If you're a small business owner looking to grow or expand your business, check out OnDeck Business Loans. OnDeck offers business loans online from $5,000 to $500,000, and their simple application process only takes 10 minutes. Unlike banks, they'll give you a decision quickly, and funding is as fast as one day. Get a free consultation with an OnDeck loan advisor. Visit OnDeck.com podcast. This is the Customer Equity Accelerator. If you are a marketing executive who wants to deliver bottom line impact by identifying and connecting with revenue generating customers, then this is the show for you. I'm your host, Allison Hartsoe, CEO of Ambition Data. Each week, I bring you the leaders behind the customer-centric revolution who share their expert advice. Are you ready to accelerate? Then let's go. Welcome everyone. Today's show is about the evolution of marketing analytics and to help me discuss this topic is Jim Stern. Jim is the founder of the Marketing Analytics Summit, which was the eMetrics Summit ages ago for you industry old timers. And he is the co-founder and director emeritus of the Digital Analytics Association. Now, if you haven't run across Jim and the conference circuit, you've certainly seen his books. He's got about a dozen books out there in online marketing and analytics, including the latest one, which is Artificial Intelligence for Marketing Practical Applications. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. This is a real treat for me because I really enjoy your podcast and I am delighted to be part of it. Oh, thank you so much. That's nice to hear. So where did you start and how did you get into this space originally and start developing such a passion for it? Well, I always had strong opinions about how the Internet sucked and expressed my opinions to everybody about why their website was bad and could be improved. And then one day I realized we can measure this stuff. It's no longer my opinion. We can actually find out how bad your website is through analytics. And that was back in 1997 or 8 with when Web Trends was around. And I started presenting all over the world at Internet World Conferences and there was one presenter that I always went out of my way to see, a guy named Matt Cutler, who was with a company called NetGenesis. And he had founded that right out of MIT initially to do log file analysis. And then they figured out, oh, we can do JavaScripting and really get some interesting data. But he was just a wonderful speaker. So I always went to his presentations. He always went to mine. And finally, one day we sat down and had dinner and said, look, we should figure out how to work together. And he said, well, come and give a presentation at our user group meeting and meet some of our clients and hey, let's write a white paper. So we interviewed 25 companies and they all said we're overwhelmed with data. We have no idea what to do with it. And we're just swamped. So we put out a white paper, which was then called eMetrics. And it was five pages of survey results and 60 pages of what you could be doing if only you would. Then a year later, I interviewed another 25 companies that did actually have answers. And then that became my book, Web Metrics, which came out in 2002, which was the year that since Internet World had dried up and blown away, I decided I would start my own conference. So 2002 was when the eMetrics Summit, now Marketing Analytics Summit, was founded. And then in 2004, the audience created the then Web Analytics Association, which got renamed to the current Digital Analytics Association. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. 
That's an incredible story. I didn't realize that you started with the paper about people being over the interview and then discovering that all these companies were overwhelmed with data. I almost would have said that you could pick that up and run that exact same scenario today. People are still overwhelmed with data. Yeah, well. That white paper's on my website at targeting.com, so enjoy a blast from the past. <laughs> we certainly will. Excellent. Well, so people who have looked at marketing analytics over time may understand a bit about the evolution where we've started with what should I measure? There's lots of data. But is it, if you're just coming into the space today, is it likely that you might be thinking that data has evolved to the point where AI should just be telling us what to do and I might not need marketing analytics or digital analytics as much as I used to? Have we gotten to that point? Oh, absolutely, especially because we're in a place where robots clean my house and do all of my grocery shopping and figure out what I should buy my wife for her birthday. Yeah, it's all taken care of. I'm just going to go sit on the beach. <laughs> I think we're a long way from there. I believe it's important to throw in a little bit of history that we had mixed modeling that says I'm spending this percentage of my advertising dollars in these channels, and here's the result. What happens if I change the amount of money I'm spending in these different channels? So that's the absolute top down. Then there's market research. Let's ask people their opinions and do psychographics and all of that stuff ad nauseum. Two very different realms of data collection. Then there is the customer loyalty, customer lifetime value side that says, let's actually measure what our customers are actually doing business-wise with us. And then along came the internet. And suddenly I had this behavioral data of what they clicked on and how often they came back and how often do they hover and how long do they read and, and all of those wonderful bits. So the disconnect in the very start of the industry was that those people who were handed the job of web analytics were not schooled in modeling. They weren't schooled in market research. They just said, here's a bunch of data. Go see if it means anything. So there was a whole lot of invention that didn't have to happen if the webmaster of old, who was responsible for the log files, had actually had a degree in statistics. This would have gone a very different way. But the web analytics industry invented itself by you know, going to a conference and get joining an online discussion group from the Yahoo Web Analytics Forum that Eric Peterson put together is where we learned how to do our jobs. And then as we grew up, we bumped up against business intelligence and we discovered that there were people who've been doing marketing analysis for generations. And OK, now it's time to be a little more sophisticated. The question about will artificial intelligence take our job is someday I'm going to get tired of saying, no, that's not true. But I'm not yet. I'm willing to explain yet again that the human is necessary for three crucial things. Figuring out what problem to solve, figuring out what data to give to the machine to solve the problem, and then deciding whether or not the answer that they get out the other end makes any sense. And that's stuff that the machine is not going to be able to do for a couple of generations. I'm not worried about my job. 
But the thing to keep in mind is that it's just another tool. So if you have a hammer and a screwdriver and a wrench and you add a ratchet to it, well, wow, that's going to solve all my problems. No, 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 it's not. It does a different thing. It solves a different kind of problem. Your job as a marketing professional is to understand what different kinds of problems can be solved with this magical machine learning stuff. Well, that's an interesting angle. And I've been reading the book Prediction Machines, Mm -hmm. and they talk a lot about judgment, which it seems like all three of these pieces, what problems should I solve? What data should I give? What answer makes sense? is all related to judgment, human judgment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because the idea of something that we might simply express like, show me a valuable customer or show me something that's good or bad is not inherently a binary element. It requires all these pieces of judgment, notably human judgment, to come in to say whether that is indeed what we want in the outcome. Which is where supervised learning comes in. It's here is a good customer. I've decided to label this a good customer. Let me label a hundred good customers. Now look at my other hundred thousand customers and tell me which ones look like the one I just gave you. And instead of me saying they're between these ages with this income in that zip code and they've, the recency frequency monetary value is X. Instead, I say, I declare these as good, find more people like that. And here is a wide variety of data to consider whether or not the other people look like this hundred labeled group. And that is supervised learning. I've told the machine what I want, told it to find more of them like that. Which I think is an interesting avenue, but I have also seen some applications where it almost seems like certain AI tools can get to causality, not just correlation. And I'm not saying that machine learning is necessarily correlation, because I wouldn't say I'm such an expert in supervised learning that I could tell that it was definitely doing correlation versus causation. But it seems like there's some more advanced models behind what we might typically start with machine learning. The causation problem is a tough one to solve. It is definitely a correlation machine, full stop. Are data scientists trying to figure out how to code causation into its what knowledge set into its self-created rules they're exploring that but understand that marketing is one of the messiest subjects that we have to play with it is not chemistry it's not physics it is dealing with the myriad human conditions at any different point in time that are going to be different for a wide variety of reasons that are constantly changing hey that's an easy problem to solve so if you want to if you want to nail down causality in order to come up with attribution that says next time you should spend more on outdoor billboards on the highway that will improve conversions we're a ways away from that Now, we can hook up a lot of the digital side. We can get what did you click on? What emails did you open? What have you posted on Twitter? Who do you like on Facebook? And we can bring all that data together and put it in a big pile and say, find me a pattern. Find, tell me something I don't know. That is unsupervised learning. Like, look at this data and take these people and put them in categories and see if we can segment into the some way that makes sense to a human. So either I'm going to train it. Yes, this is a dog. No, that's not a cat. This is a good customer. This is a bad customer. Or we're going to just throw a bunch of data at it and say, do you see a pattern in there? Tell me what you see that's interesting. Well, this correlates with that. Yeah, I know that sales go up when the weather's bad. That's true, but it's not useful. Tell me something else. Well, when somebody has looked at 
these pictures and then they've opened that email, they are more inclined to make a purchase if you give them a discount code and it is out of your 100,000 prospects that you're going after, there's 13,000 that we have a confidence of 80% that they will use that coupon. Oh, that's useful. Thank you. So did I just hear you say that in unsupervised learning, you can basically peel back the layers of maybe it's correlation that tell you, okay, the first one is something obvious. I get more sales when I have more salespeople. I'm going to throw that out. And then it'll automatically roll down to the next layer that says, okay, if I take that out of the picture, now I've got another mix of things. What is causing the outcome now? No, that's what analysts do. The machine <laughs> will look at the data and say, here's a bunch of correlations. And some of them will be completely useless. Some of them will be obvious. Some of them will be ridiculous. And that is where that third thing, first of all, what problem, what data? The third thing is, does the answer make sense? So is there a correlation between drowning by swimming and ice cream sales? Well, yes, there is. But ice cream is not causing the drowning. It's the temperature going up. When it's hotter, more ice cream is eaten and more people go swimming. So is there a correlation? Yes. Is it one that I would have tried to tease out as a human? No, I wouldn't have thought to cross-correlate those two things, but the machine found it and offered it up on a silver platter and said, how about this one? Is that useful? And that takes judgment to say, ooh, yes, I can adjust my spend based on that insight. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, let's talk about some examples where I always think it's interesting where the highest paid person's opinion comes in and they say, hey, we should be doing machine learning. We should be doing AI. And we subscribe to a maturity curve that has very specific specific things at very specific times. And it's largely driven by connecting to the customer and a very specific view of customer lifetime value and how you ladder up to that. Is there a similar curve for perhaps the application of AI and machine learning? When, in other words, when would you be ready for use cases and when should you not even be thinking about that? Well, the first rule is I have found myself quoting Stefan Hamal a lot. And in a recent tweet, he said, if you're not doing analytics well, you are not ready for artificial intelligence. So if you don't get statistics, if you don't understand modeling, then this is a tool that is too sophisticated for you. Now, you don't have to be a statistician, just like you don't have to be a programmer in order to advertise on Facebook. But if you understand how Facebook works, you will be better at your job. So you are not going to take, quote, machine learning and just open a box and use it right away if you don't really know analytics, you don't have enough data, and you don't have a specific problem you're trying to solve. So machine learning, it solves a particular problem. It is very narrow. General artificial intelligence is a wonderful thing for science fiction writers, and it is not something marketers are going to be using for a long, long time. Instead, like you do with a statistician, you have a problem you're trying to solve, you have a data set, and you build, you, you use machine learning to solve a specific functional problem. I want more email opens. I want more click-throughs on my ads. I want higher conversions when people hit one of these two landing pages. And it's that specific. It's a horizontal tool like a spreadsheet. Hey, I can just use a spreadsheet and that'll solve all my problems. Well, no, it'll solve one problem at a time. 
Do you have examples of companies that are perhaps doing the right or going after the right use cases versus maybe a company that didn't go after the right use case? So yes and no. The companies that shouldn't have done it don't tend to talk about that. (laughs) But there are the stories out there. And the fun place that they're coming from is from startups because they're out there to tell their client stories. So, for instance, there's a startup called Albert, and they love telling the story of the Harley Davidson dealer in Manhattan that was having a tough time. Lots of data, lots of potential customers, lots of people who are interested in their product, lots of data from social media. And they took hundreds of photographs and dozens of headlines and had the machine generate display ads and emails and then started testing them against micro segments. People who look like this tend to respond better to pictures of that. Now, you can do A-B testing your whole life and test 100 things and you'll get some lift, but the machine can test 100 things in five seconds. So that's a lot more powerful. And the results were 500% increase in visits to the website, 20% increase in sales month over month for three months, you know, just amazing results up to a point. And then that particular model using that specific data set had maxed out. It had learned what it could learn. And unless you change the inputs or the desired output, it's just going to give you the same answer. It has, quote, solved the problem, but it won't, it can't continue to improve. You know, there's no such thing as a hockey stick with no end. So it's almost like you're saying that the typical use case for machine learning is more of an 80% solution. It's figuring out ways to do heavy lifting or find areas that maybe perhaps you hadn't optimized before, hadn't optimized well. And it's not that you hadn't done it. It's that it was not humanly possible to spend the time necessary. If you had an infinite number of monkeys with an infinite number of Excel spreadsheets, they could solve it. And that's what machine learning is. But you, it's not, even with a room full of interns, it's not worth crunching the numbers. You, it will not be cost effective. But with machine learning, you can crunch all of that data to tease out, well, the better message in front of the better person at the better time. Now, machine learning does have, it tops out. When you start using it, it gives you terrible results because it's learning. It's like a toddler trying to walk. It takes a step and falls over, and then it takes two steps and falls over, and then it runs out the front door and is in traffic and wait, come back, and it does great. I mean, so it's this dip at first, and then it figures it out, and it's this huge climb, and then it plateaus. It has done the heavy lifting, and now, yeah, there is no final answer. There's no final solution to it. There is just... We got you an amazing amount of lift and we've increased the value, the return on investment of your advertising, but there's no infinite climb. So you would now have to find a different problem to solve. Or find new data to bring in. So I guess it's a bit like a U-shaped curve. There's exactly. that huge not doing anything right at the beginning, then the huge climb, and then it plateaus. But it almost reminds me of a product S-curve when you say plateau, because I always think, well, if you change the variables and you add more to it, then you can probably get it to lift again. But isn't there a fallacy in that, too? I mean, if I just keep adding more data Maybe it does something better, but I could also get a lot of spurious correlations, right? 
Well, sure. So now we're at the point of how much agency have you given the machine? If is it going to just kick out recommendations and then humans will decide? Or do you give it control over your email system so that it can constantly reconsider what message it's sending to which people? And then it is going to reach its maximum optimization. Now it needs a different problem to solve or different data, not just any data, but data that is predictive and useful and valuable. So I'm going to guess that you probably have an example of the human factor where people have given maybe a machine learning system control to execute something, perhaps without the best consequences on the other side. Again, the people who run into those mistakes don't tend to talk about them in public. So imagine you've asked the machine to improve email opens and you give it agency and you give it lots of data and it starts to try things and it sends out emails and these got open and those didn't. And then it changes the frequency of the email and it discovers that if you send out a 100 emails to somebody within an hour, they will open one. So success. And a human looks at that and goes, no, no, that does not pass the smell test. Stop that. (laughs) They're opening to unsubscribe. (laughs) Yes. Or to see who the heck I can file a lawsuit against. So the human is necessary to ride herd and determine, did I describe the problem clearly enough so that the results are going to fit within the realm of common sense? And so it becomes a combination of I'm going to use machine learning and I'm going to start creating some rules that say we really don't want to send anybody more than two emails a week. Just make that a rule. And let's constrain the machine to stay within that because common sense says otherwise we're going to upset people. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But I'm also sensing that when we look at companies that are becoming more and more mature with data over time, it seems like the number one thing that holds them back is a human factor. It's people not accepting the results of the data. It's people not able to create content fast enough. It's people not willing to allow my turf versus your turf kind of thing, like an organizational problem. And so oftentimes when we think about machine learning, the first applications tend to be in optimizing a data set. Can you also optimize human factors? Well, this is where this is a tool that can be used for a wide variety of purposes. So Microsoft has their system that is internal communications. It's a little bit like Slack and a little bit of calendaring and a little bit of all these good things put together. And oh, by the way, since it's Microsoft, if you're using Microsoft 360 and it's reading all of your emails and it's scheduling all of your meetings. So it is a system that can say, oh, if you're going to have a meeting and invite these five people and talk about this topic, here are two other people who are the go-to people on email that everybody is always asking them questions about this topic. You really should invite them to the meeting as well. Is that solving political issues? Oh, no. (laughs) But is it an interesting aid? Yes, it is. But remember, when you say machine learning, it's like saying word processing or a typewriter. Can you use this for writing copy? Yes. Could you write a novel on that? Yes, you could. Will it help me write a novel? No, it's a typewriter. (laughs) That's a great analogy. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I imagine that at the conference that you run, people have a lot of discussion about 
about machine learning. Is that one of the hot topics? And maybe there are other hot topics along those lines at the Marketing Analytics Summit. Because of our history and because of the constituents, the attendees who show up, it's a real interesting combination of what's over the horizon. So yes, we all need to know about machine learning. We all need to know about how to communicate with our customers online through email, with search optimization, through a chat bot. And that's, and machine learning is a new thing. But you know what? The other half of the conference is I'm trying to do this actual work here today and I don't have all those fancy tools. I'm not the the thought leadership is interesting, but that's not where I live. I live with I'm having a horrible time with Google Tag Manager. Can anybody help me? So it is this amazing combination of tactical solution and strategic thinking that is why this conference is in its 18th year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember many of those tactical solutions being quite helpful to me personally when I first started out in this space and was trying to understand more or less what was possible. What was I not thinking about? So I can see where many people benefit from that. And so along the lines of you know this evolution of marketing marketing analytics. Is there a certain order of operations that you see or perhaps that you recommend people subscribe to? If I have my foundational tracking in place, what should I do second, third? How should I start moving forward into marketing, modern marketing analytics? And then how does the conference play in? At what point should I be thinking about the conference? Well, in terms of maturity model, there's a whole lot of things that have to happen in parallel. Organizational change management, the politics. If you don't have a senior sponsor and if you don't have a curious, capable, low-level technical capability, none of this can happen. You have to have enthusiasm at the top and the bottom so that those of us in the middle can make it all work and make decisions about how to spend the budget. But data cleansing is when you say you have your foundation of data collection, that's huge. And oh, by the way, it's ongoing. That's not a tick the box and move on. That's a forever problem. So you will always be doing data collection, data cleansing, and tearing your hair out because it just breaks all the time. Then it's time to do some basic counting. So you get a baseline. Where am I now? Then you get into, okay, where do we believe that we can have the biggest impact if we can optimize some stage of the customer relationship? Is it more important important to get more attention and let people know about us? Or is it more important to engage them interactively in a consultative basis in order to convince them that they should buy it? Or is it more important that we should focus on the shopping cart? Or is it more important that we should focus on turning people into advocates on social media? Pick one because you can't do everything. Which one is going to give you the biggest step forward? And that's by your investment. It's political. Who is the most willing to experiment with you? And then eventually you can move up to automation. And when you move into automation and you're building out your marketing tech stack, once that's in place, oh, we can bring machine learning in underneath that and provide it as the cognitive part of the automation. I mean, way back when, it was a pretty straightforward thing to create an email tree. And by that, I mean, we're going to send out emails to our customers and we're going to ask them a question. And if they answer A, we'll follow up with this email. And if they answer B, 
we'll follow up with that email and we'll offer them to download a white paper. And if they do download the white paper, then in three and a half days, we'll send that follow up email and can set all that up in advance to be automated in the dark. But somebody had to decide that these were the right steps to take. You can bring in machine learning to help reveal which of those steps is better than the other. I think that makes sense. But I also think one of the elements that circles back to what you were saying in the very beginning about human judgment was when you define the biggest impact. I think there's a hidden element there that says, if I'm successful, other people may come to me and good problem to have may start filling up my queue of requests and analysis, things that they want me to do. And at that point, I think once you start to get a little bit of traction, it becomes very strategic as to which projects you take because it's more and more expensive. You need more people, you need more tools, you need more budget. And if you don't show bottom line dollar impact with your analysis organization, it could be hard to get that budget. So if you want to keep that upward spiral after you get the initial projects, I think you have to be very selective about what you attack and then move on to perhaps the other elements that might be perhaps something you can support on the side in a shorter term project as opposed to like the main focus of your team. Would you agree with that? I would if we're talking about an analytics department of one. You are the one who has to manage all of yourself as a resource. If you have a team, then this is the problem that management is being paid to solve. Here are the resources. Here are the needs. Prioritize. And that instantly, it starts with, well, let's map out the ROI. If we do project A, we'll get a bigger return. If we do project B, the vice president of whatever they are will give us more budget. So guess what? Let's do B instead. And that's the human condition, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and I like what you were saying about the email tree example before. I constantly find that there are many things that were documented either through direct mail marketing or through old systems that somebody figured out that we're just now circling back to and saying, oh, yeah, we should be doing this at scale. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's what machine learning is all about. It is scaling the art of counting. It is scaling the art of statistical analysis. I start with just writing a program with specific rules and I move on to a spreadsheet that lets me do some iteration, some really rudimentary modeling. And then I hire a statistician to really do some predictive modeling to get heavy into Bayesian analysis. And they create a model and test it and then tweak it and test it and tweak it and finally have something that's pretty good. And oh, look, I got 2% lift. That was worth the money. Well, with machine learning, I am putting a lot of statisticians into the box and turning the crank really fast. That makes sense. With the conference coming up, what is the biggest challenge you expect to hear people talking about? Oh, so it's time once again for me to revisit an article I wrote about 10 years ago, maybe 12. What's your biggest problem? And five years later, I brought it out and half of the problems were still there. So I expect people to continue to talk about how their data is terrible. So I will quote Ronnie Kahavi from Microsoft, who says that 80% of data scientists spend their time cleaning data. They spend 5% of their time doing deep analysis and insight gleaning, and they spend 50% 
15% of their time complaining about the 80% of time they do cleaning. So that will never go away. So that's part one. They're going to complain that there's too many ad hoc questions of random, what is the price of tea in China? And what if we correlated that against last Thursday? And like, what are you trying to solve? And I'll help you. Just ask random questions. You destroy my throughput. They're going to complain that people just don't listen to them. And this is a solvable problem. Because as an, if I'm an analyst, I love this stuff. I am a problem solver. I'm a detective. I really love digging around and finding the aha moment. And that's exciting. And I want to share that excitement. Look at how hard it was for me to clean the data. And I tried this and I tried this. And then I came up with this golden nugget. And by that time, everybody in the audience is asleep because all they care about is the golden nugget. Tell me what the nugget is. Well, you should send out your emails on Thursday morning between 930 and 10. Great. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> That's so true. And I literally have an episode coming up with an executive at KeyBank, and she talks about how she trains her team to do exactly that, to flip and to think about, here's the nugget, tell it in one page, and then everything else. <laughs> yeah, I want a three-slide PowerPoint with 27 slides in the addendum that are for you, not for the audience. Mm-hmm. Or for that stray person in the audience that really wants to crack open the cover and understand how you got the answer. Everybody else just doesn't care. If you find that person who says, I want to have a follow-up meeting so I can understand exactly how you did that, buy them lunch, buy them dinner, be their best friend, because you just have a new convert who is fascinated by the data. And instead of being the, oh, no, here come the million questions, this is an opportunity to bring somebody onto your team. Mm-hmm. A fantastic opportunity. And I find that because this is a new space, many people who are coming into it have aptitudes in other areas and they're are kind of gravitating in. And lots of times we see people with technical backgrounds just more or less relabeling themselves. But I find that some of the most interesting hires actually come from economics, from psychology, from very different fields. And then they can think about the problem that they're solving in a very creative way. And the data is secondary to it. The difference between machine learning and humans is that humans can take all of our experience and apply it to all of our problems. And machines can't do that. They can take this data and apply it to that problem. But humans, you can go to the movies and see Wonder Woman and suddenly you'll think, oh, I just figured out how to solve that problem I was dealing with at work. They're totally unrelated, but there was a spark that happened in your head. Now, if you take that head and you put it in a room with nine other heads who all have different experiences, different views of the world, different ways of expressing themselves, you have a supercomputer like we cannot even imagine. But if you only hire people who look like you and only people who think and talk mm -hmm. like you, you might as well be alone. Well, and on that fantastic note, I imagine that there is probably a great way for people to get in touch with you if they want to find out more about the conference or if they want to talk to you more about targeting. What's the best way for people to connect with you, Jim? So Twitter at Jim Stern. I have had the same email address for 30 years, jstern at targeting.com. And yeah, you can find me on Amazon if you wanted to. <laughs> Is there a particular offer code that you'd like to extend to listeners if they want to come to the conference? 
I would love to invite everybody to register right away for the Marketing Analytics Summit, which is in the middle of June in Las Vegas, and a 15% discount code is STERN, S-T-E-R-N-E, 15. Oh, that's all caps, by the way. Is it? Okay. Is it case sensitive? Really? It is. It's a promo code. You bet it's case sensitive. Nice. And yeah, there can't be any better place to do a conference than Las Vegas. That place is just a total kick in the first place. I know that the older conferences, we used to kind of gravitate up and down the West Coast, but Vegas is unlike any other place. You just never find a shortage of things to do there. And it's easier to get to than almost anywhere else. And we'll be at Caesar's Palace, which is pretty nice. Are you still doing the dinner with friends? Dinner with strangers. Yeah. So at the end of the first day, people sign up random and are randomly assigned to groups of 10. And then we make reservations at restaurants around the casino and around town. And you end up meeting nine other people that you had never met before. And you go Dutch treat and please come back in time for more session. (laughs) Now, I can tell you firsthand, and I'm sure you've had other stories, but I have made some amazing friends through that dinner with strangers function. And that is unique. I've never seen that at any other conference. It's fun. It works. Good. Well, Jim, thank you for everything, for your insights about machine learning and the way that marketing analytics is evolving, and also for just continuing to put the conferences on. I know firsthand that's not an easy thing to do, and (laughs) to stay on it and keep after it year over year as the industry changes, as people change, is a hell of an achievement. So thank you for doing that. Well, I will tell you a secret. I do this conference thing because it's the best way for me to gather the smartest people I can find in order to get up on stage and teach me stuff. (laughs) That's why I do the podcast. There we go. (laughs) See? Like minds. (laughs) Exactly. Well, as always, links to everything we discussed, including Jim's conference, are at theambitiondata.com slash podcast. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Allison, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, and it's just always a treat to hang out with you. Thank you. Remember, everyone, when you use your data effectively, you really can build customer equity. It is not magic. It is a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. Thank you for joining today's show. This is your host, Allison Hartzell, and I have two gifts for you. First, I've written a guide for the customer-centric CMO, which contains some of the best ideas from this podcast, and you can receive it right now. Simply text Ambition Data, one word, to 31996. And after you get that white paper, you'll have the option for the second gift, which is to receive the signal. Once a month, I put together a list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are making amazing progress as they build customer equity. I hope you enjoy the CMO guide and the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.